Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is Luke Wyatt. Luke is a good friend of mine. Luke was a 40-year employee of the athletic department at Vanderbilt. He is one of the most well-connected people I know with regards to Vanderbilt, not only within the athletic department and the coaches, but the school itself. He has seen and heard it all. I thought Luke would be the right person to give an opinion today on whether the culture at Vanderbilt is changing with athletics, his opinion on facilities, all those things because he has seen it and seen how it happens or doesn't happen. Anyway, we had a fantastic interview with Luke today. I think you're going to love to hear this. Luke comes to us on the guest line. That is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number 615-846-6200. See what their rights are or see what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our interview with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins me today. Luke has become a very good friend of mine. As a lot of you know, Luke worked at Vanderbilt for a long time. He was an equipment manager for four decades. Luke is about as well-connected at the school, not just the athletic department, but other levels too, as anybody I know. He's still got relationships with people he knows and worked with and is very dialed into the pulse of what goes on there. We've had Luke on before a couple of years ago. I thought today would be a good time to revisit that with, with a lot of stuff having changed since Luke and I last did a podcast together. So with that, Luke, thank you for joining us today and welcome back to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, Chris, thanks for having me. And first of all, it's I just uh so thankful that you have uh come through the other side. Seems like you're on the road to recovery and I hope everything's going well there. Yeah, getting there. Uh, getting there enough to do these again, which is is nice. It's good to get back into the swing of of normal activity, but Let's start here, and I don't really have a big agenda for today's podcast. I just thought it would be fun to come on and ask you questions about how you see what's going on and, and the progress that's being made or, or maybe not being made, in, in your opinion. Uh, sure. we'll, we'll get to those things when we get to the questions. But I remember the last time we did this, it was about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, Things at Vanderbilt were in a state of upheaval. Uh, I think the new chancellor, Daniel Deermeyer, was not there at that time. Since then, there have been facilities announcements. There have been some minor upgrades here and there. There's been some other stuff going on behind the scenes. What is your take on the progress of Vanderbilt athletics since maybe the last time we spoke a year or two ago? Well, since since I left, which... September of this year will be four years. The uh, changes that have happened at Vanderbilt with personnel, and I'm talking about the athletic department and the university, uh, has been a positive. Now, there's always going to be some problems, no matter what, no matter how how well things are going. But the Daniel Deermeyer edition, obviously, uh, to me, and I've been under four or five chancellors while I was at Vanderbilt, 
is the biggest positive yet I, since Gordon Gee. I, I, I was a big Gordon Gee fan, and I'm the same with Daniel Deermeyer. I think he's, uh, I think he cares. I think athletics means a lot to him, uh, as well as the, the regular goings on at the university. And I, uh, I, I'm so excited about that part. Uh, I've never met the man, but I know a lot of people who communicate with him and communicate with him a lot. And uh, I trust those folks, and I feel like that Daniel is doing everything he can to help athletics uh, bridge itself with the university uh, and uh, turn this thing around and, and be more consistent in winning. The thing that I've said from the beginning is that the narrative of all men had been very consistent. It never wavered. With Nick Zeppos, you would hear some people swear that he was pro-athletics. And then you talk to someone else five minutes later uh, who would – I don't know if he would say he was anti-athletics, but certainly not not a friend to them. Uh, with Deermeyer, it's always been consistent. That puts a little bit of a bullet on your back sometimes at Vanderbilt with the academic environment there, yeah. or with some of the people that are not necessarily pro sports – how much courage does it take to take the stance that he's taken? I think a lot. And, and, and you know, I can tell you this just by being – I'm a season ticket holder for football, baseball, and basketball. And just seeing him at all the events. Um, I mean, he's been at more events except for – again, let me throw Chancellor Gee in there. Except for Gordon Gee, he's been at more events than any chancellor, vice chancellor, anybody that I've ever seen. And and he's genuinely into the game. Um, he cares. Well, our my concern is the same as yours. The board of trust uh, c- convincing everyone that athletics is the front door to your home, and it can be a huge positive. Uh, is something he fights. I think, and not necessarily on a daily basis, but uh, every time there's a big meeting, he has to. That's uh, I guess one of the first things he brings up is, "Hey, we got to do this. We got to do that. We're treating everyone equal now." Athletics is in the ball game, and uh, and when we start mentioning things for the engineering building, we're going to mention things about uh, needs in the athletic department as well. And I just think that he's uh, right now right in the middle of the fight, and I think that he will continue to do that. And I think he's uh, garnered some interest from some from some folks and convinced some folks and maybe flipped some folks who felt otherwise about athletics. Sometimes at Vanderbilt, well, oftentimes, there's the public narrative and and then the private narrative and private conversations. And where I'm going with that is a lot of times you have to be clandestine in getting things done for athletics. If if you trumpet it and put it out there, you'll get a blowback from faculty or or staff or or people that are not pro-athletics. I know that you have relationships with coaches and, and people over there on the inside. Behind the scenes, a, away from things that are out in the public narrative, how much support do you think he is giving the coaches? I think a lot. I think the uh, – I, I, I don't I want to stop short of calling it an open-door policy, but at the same time, if they think if, – if he thinks they need to get to him and speak to him on a one-on-one basis, I think he feels good with it. He's, he's – positive with that he's not uh he, he doesn't push back he doesn't say well let's go through Candace or let's go through your administrator he is very open to listening to them and that's the thing that's that's so different um you know a chancellor is a busy man <laughs> and athletics is just a part of his job uh and I, I am so excited about what I hear from coaches and uh people that work in the department about how open he is 
to listening to ideas and, you know, everyone. And, 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 you know, we have, we sometimes forget this now that we're adding volleyball, that we're getting ready to have 16 sports there. We all focus on football, baseball, and basketball. Let's be honest. Most of us. And that that's where we fall short because he is absolutely whatever football needs. Obviously he understands that that's got to happen, but let's just say the track program, the swimming program, whatever it may be, he's very interested in what they need as well. And that's, that's different. That's very different from when I was there. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. And if it's not a safe question for you to answer, then you feel free to decline. But I don't know if you have examples Mm -hmm. that you can share with, with what he's done. Sometimes those are tricky because if you give a specific example, it burns a particular individual. But I'm just curious right. if you have anything that you can share of substance that, that might lend some color to the answer you just went through. Uh, let me think of that while we talk about other things, because there is probably one or two. I, I just got to gather my thoughts on how I can go at that, how yeah, I can handle that, because I, I want to do it the right way. Let's, let's keep, keep that in the background. I can come to it. Well, and I've got trust me, I've got I've got plenty of things. We'll probably go about okay. an hour today, but sure. facilities. Of course, we don't know all the specifics yet. I, I, I think that after talking with Candace Lee yesterday at the media availability, which you can see the full transcript of that or the full video of that, minus about the first thirty seconds when yours truly forgot to or thought he had hit the record <laughs> button and had not. So, my apologies there. You can see ninety. Eight percent of what she said. Okay. Some of it, I, I I gather, is still being worked on and planned. They've got a timeline where things are still two or three years out from completion. So with that, they have some leeway to change this or that, or consult a coach, or you know, sometimes who knows? Maybe technology even changes in a year or two, and that affects things. But whatever the case, I, I got the feeling that they have a general idea. Well, obviously they do. They have released the blueprints, or not the blueprints, but the the renderings and things like that right. that fans saw back last fall. Uh, you know, you talk to people, I talk to people, your specifics. With that, what is your take on all that they are going to be building for football and basketball and other sports? Is that adequate? Where is it lacking? Is it not lacking? I'm just curious to hear what you think about what we know and, and maybe some insight on the parts that we don't. Well, I think one of the, there's a couple of things I want to speak about here. First of all, the standpoint of, I have someone close to me in my family who is an engineer, and he's a neutral observer. In other words, he doesn't care about athletics so much as Vanderbilt or whatever. So he can tell me from a standpoint of, okay, when we're getting to build something at Vanderbilt University, how does that work? And he told me, he said, you know, you have to understand the city itself controls a lot of that. In other words, delays and so forth. Even though it looks like that's Vanderbilt's fault, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the city. Sometimes it's uh, campus planning that's you know got some issues, whatever. So that that part of it, always wanting to blame Vanderbilt. Why isn't it built? You know, always pushing the envelope. You know, yeah, you said you're going to do it, but you're not doing it. There's always some reasons for that. And, and I, I, I know in the past there's been deception there. I don't think that's the case this time. Um, what I do believe is when it does happen, and, and, I, and I truly believe it's going to happen as long as Daniel Deermeyer stays at Vanderbilt, I think the facilities will not – there won't be the shortcuts. I can remember when we built Hawkins Field, and there was just little things that fell through the crack that would drive you crazy from a standpoint of, you know, you build something, you got to have a budget for maintenance and that type of thing. 
Um, there's, <laughs> there's just little things that fell through the crack. I don't think that will happen this time. I think they are covering themselves to where these facilities will be not only adequate, but very nice. They're never going to be Alabama's, Tennessee's, Florida's. There's no, uh, that's not going to happen. So if you're a Vanderbilt fan and you think that's going to happen, forget about it. However, because we're landlocked, everything we do has to go up. I think you're going to see more second and third and fourth stories of buildings and, and things going up instead of out. Well, there's just nowhere else to go, as you know. So that part of it takes more time when you're building like that is what I'm told. But I feel very confident in what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'll be an old man when it all gets complete, <laughs> but that's okay. At least you got to start somewhere. And uh, even though they've been late in getting to the game, uh, I think this time around is going to, we're going to be all, all of us will be very pleased. Well, sometimes a lot has been made of, of what Malcolm Turner had planned. And I think what they're doing seems to be towards the low end of what he had. There was figures of anywhere from 800 million to a billion dollars of things. But to be honest, what they're doing looks pretty nice to me. Um, and I wonder sometimes, is there diminishing returns on, and I'm, I'm look, I'm not defending the school here. You know me, you know, I, I don't do that. Right. I'm just trying to have an honest conversation. I'm just curious. I, I guess a lot of what Malcolm wanted to do, a new Memorial gym was on the table. The reason for that was because so much there is outdated. Uh, it just is very expensive to, to fix. I, I don't think that that building has the appeal to recruits maybe and to other people that does people that have grown up in that gym and spent right. decades there. I mean, it is a special place. I'm not discounting that, but I'm just saying, I'm not sure that everybody shares that opinion. I mean, th there are different ways that you could have jacked the cost up of things a couple hundred million dollars easily. Again, building of, of completely new facilities uh, would be, at the top of the list. Here's what I'm getting at. What what they are doing compared to what they could have done. You know, I, I do wonder sometimes, because again, what, what they're doing looks nice and I think is mostly going to meet their needs. I'm wondering how much of what would have been done would have been diminishing returns on the extra million spent, if that all makes sense. Well, I think it's it'd be like shopping for a diamond ring for your wife. You know, if you your wife's going to want the biggest carrot, possibly the more Bugs Bunnies, the better. I think I we're going to have a nice, beautiful facility in in all areas, but it being the uh, uh, Kardashian diamond, so to speak, it's not going to do that. It's not going to be that. And I think that's what Malcolm Turner and those guys were shooting for. Um, knowing that they probably weren't going to get to that point, but that they would be somewhere in between where we're going to be now and where they wanted to be. Uh, if that makes sense to you. It it does. Um, I, I guess what I'm wondering, where do you think what they'll do will give them an edge? Where do you think what they will do? If anything is lacking, where do you think that would be? Or is it just too early to tell seeing how we don't know all the details yet? It, I think it's a little early to tell because there's going to be something that goes wrong. I don't care, you know, so, and, and you'll hear it and you'll see it probably on, on your, on your site. Pe people are going to complain about, Oh, why did they do it this way? If they'd have flipped this, they'd have done that. They could have saved space by doing that. You know, everyone's going to have an opinion and there's going to be something that probably is 
is done that falls short of what it should be. And I'm, I'm expecting that now, whether that's in the basketball thing, the football or something that's done for tennis, whatever it may be, something's not going to be exactly what it should be. But I feel like this again, I've been to every Southeastern conference school. I've seen all their facilities. I've been to a lot of schools that compared to Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, Northwestern facilities. And this is of course, four years ago, but those facilities, they have more land. They have more space. They can do some bells and whistles that we just don't, we can't do. We can't, we really can't. And I just, I feel like that whatever we're doing now is going to be every, every I will be dotted. Every T will be crossed. I just feel that way. I, and, and it, uh, this goes back to the trust of Daniel Deermeyer. I, I think the little things that have been done, and I'm talking about the little sprucing up of stuff here and there that really, to be honest with you, you shouldn't mention it. It should just be, yeah, we did that because it needed to be done. I think even those things have been done better than before, if that makes sense. It, it does. Let me ask you, if I had been having this conversation <clears throat> with you four or five years ago, <laughs> And I had said, okay, they're going to do this, 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 and this, and all the things that are laid out on the table before us. What would you have said? Well, I, I'm going to I tell you what I would have said. I would refer to you to the great John Rich. John Rich, who, God love him, gave his life and a lot to Vanderbilt University. But some of his friends who he used to have a little breakfast club with used to tell him, John, why do you keep pouring money into that place? Are you a jello head? What's the, what, you're not getting anything in return. They're lying to you. They're not going to ever do this. I would have been very, uh, uh, I would have probably laughed at you because I know there's been so many times that projects over there that were supposed to be one thing turned out to be nothing uh, and got called off. And I spent the money in other places. I, I mean, it was amazing. Some of the stories I could tell you that would take hours to explain to you. Uh, you would be amazed at what they got away with when they were supposed to spend X amount of dollars in athletics. And it wound up being, well, the university gets theirs off the top first. Then we'll use what's left over the dregs to, to try to do what we wanted to do in athletics. So it's a totally different ball game now, in my opinion. Where did everything get cut down in the past? Uh, well, for instance, I can tell you three times. In fact, I've got one in my, uh, my little uh, my garage area where I keep a lot of Vanderbilt memorabilia and stuff of the blueprints for a new equipment room slash weight room class slash training room. It was all supposed to be done. This is when Paul Houlihan was there. So you start from Paul Houlihan on every one of them, Todd Turner, uh, everybody, they all had a, these plans on the table and promises and bringing the engineers. And I've, I've walked around with the engineers and unlocked doors so many times I get blisters from them wanting to look at, well, what can we do here? Well, I don't know. You don't have much space here, you know? So it never, there's been so many times that the money was there and they were raising the money and then it just stopped and they just, well, I guess we'll just put a bandaid on this and uh, keep our fingers crossed that people don't notice. But what like was said, the explanation though, when, when stuff just went and died, what were you guys told? <clears throat> well, uh, and I don't want to, say this person's name because they might not want me to, but there was, there was one, uh, I don't know if it's him only. It may have been his son as well that had given X amount of dollars to the weight room and to, uh, a hallway in, in the athletics. I think you probably know who I'm talking about, but anyway, 
he get, he gave X amount of dollars was was promised. Here's what's going to happen with that. We're going to also put money. We're going to match that money to put with yours to make it, you know, look fantastic. Well, what they did, they just took his money and used what they could of his money and never put any of their own money into it. So that's what wow. happened. Yeah. And, but I mean, and, what- and, 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 you know, what do you do if you're this person, you're still a huge fan. You had family that played at Vanderbilt. You love Vanderbilt. What do you do? What's your next thing? Well, okay. I'm not giving again. And I think that's, that's something, Chris, that I want to touch on. I think that would have, that had become such a big problem coming back to people, except for John Ingram, of course, coming back to people saying, you know, can you help us again with this project? They're like, no, I got burned on the last one. I'm not helping you anymore. I think there were a lot of one-time people that helped and they bound and they wound up getting burned. So they didn't come back and give, they, they remained Vanderbilt fans, but they didn't give their resources or their money. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster. So go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. When stuff just went to die and just disappeared, did did you guys get an explanation? Did you find out where it got cut down? What were the, what were the things that you learned or did, did it just go away and everybody acted like it never happened? Well, people I knew that worked in the chancellor's office, this is not this chancellor, obviously. And this is not, I'm trying to think of uh, which who was chancellor. Well, starting with Joe Wyatt, and then uh, a little bit after that, people that I know that were very close and worked in that building told me, "Look, the university has got us with our arm tied behind our back. We're not going to get. They're going to take money off anything that went to athletics. The university got. It's like they took a big chunk. It's almost like the mafia." They they got what they wanted and left you with what you what they decided they wanted to leave you, and that's the way athletics was. I'm, Chris, I, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast four years ago. Unbelievably, now now think about this: when Eddie Fogler, you remember that Fogler thing that took place back in the nineties, he was having to pay a fee to use Memorial Gym for camps. Think about that. Wow. So things like that that no other university, and, and, and again, I go back to Wake Forest, the Northwestern, Georgia Tech. When I told my cohorts about that, they're like, oh, I've never heard of that. What, what, do you, what do you mean he had to pay rent out of his own camp fees to use Memorial Gym? But it was true. And, and stuff like that that went on, it, it, it was a lot of little things that added up to a big thing. That's what happened. And that's why we lost some good coaches along the way as well. I'm going to get back to the the looking forward part, but I, I do think this is interesting just to realize the, the culture and what it's been and, and how it changes. 
Someone explained to me a couple of years back, because I could never make sense. I would get told stuff by people who would know this is going to happen. You can bank on it. And then five years later, nothing. Uh, and it just right. was it's it was so frustrating covering this. Uh, and, and it obviously it makes you cynical after a while, because if you got half a brain, it of course it does. But. Mm-hmm. It was always explained to me this way, or, or not always. When, when I finally was able to to make some connections of people that that really knew what went on on the inside and and would talk, and I think the dam kind of burst when Turner was run off two years ago, or I guess almost two and a half now. People just got really frustrated, and uh, and, and a lot of stuff started coming to me. I remember one person put it like this: It was like. It's not really like one person over there who's the bad guy with this. It's more like a culture that that sort of sustained itself, and and it's just this is the way things are. And athletics is just not a big deal on the totem pole. And I'm, I'm sure I'm doing disservice to to what was said at the time, but I think I've made my point. Was was that your experience? It just was. It, it was a cultural thing rather than like one or two people that were always pulling the plug on stuff. Yes, and I can give you some small examples of that. In other words, I, I, I was sitting in a meeting, and, and I may have told this before, but if, if I had, you can stop me. I was sitting in a meeting one time, and this was before Coach Corbin got to Vanderbilt. And uh, <clears throat> the baseball team was playing Florida, and, th- and if we swept or won two, I can't remember which, we would go to the SEC tournament. And if we didn't, we stayed at home. And the season was over. In that meeting – the comptroller at the time, that's what they called the position at the time, said, well, I hate to say it, but I sure hope we don't win this weekend. We just don't have any money to send the team to, you know, we're going to take a deficit to send the baseball team to Hoover. I mean, that's, that's a very small budget item. And we're sitting there hoping our team doesn't win. So we don't, so you've got no shot when you're in that position. If you're thinking in those terms, and you've got people that are leaders in your department that think that way, you got no shot. So if, if it's happening on that small of a scale, think of what's being said on campus. You know, and we're in not private. Gonna do, we're not going and in private, absolutely. And the other thing I think, and because I, I heard this happen with coaches who were there that rested on their laurels and wound up getting fired because of it. They would say, you know, Vanderbilt's just happy to be in the SEC. We're just happy to be along for the ride. If we win a couple of games in football, if we win, you know, play 500 in basketball, and everyone says, oh, that's good old Vanderbilt down there. They bring the academic side to the conference, but it's okay. That's just Vanderbilt. They're the lovable loser. And, and a lot of people just fell into that. And like that's the, that gets back to the culture thing. The culture was <clears throat> if we win, it's unbelievable. It's the greatest thing in the world. If we lose, so what? It's supposed to. And that's what's changing. And has changed, in my opinion, with, uh, again, I, I mentioned it a while ago, all 16 sports. The, when we bring volleyball in, of course, it would be the 16th. But and there are some people doing some tremendous jobs in that building right now, coaches. And I don't like, I've never been one to say, uh, give the athletic director or whoever for hiring him a lot of credit. Because if you do that, the athletic director is going to lose every time. Because you're never going to have 16 good coaches going at the same time. But I am so proud and amazed of a guy like Scott Limbaugh 
someone like Aliki Sabonis who took over for Jeff McDonald, uh, what the lacrosse program's even done. Now, I know people don't, people say, ah, no one cares about that stuff, Luke. Well, you should if you're a Vanderbilt fan, because those athletes are kids. And the, that's the reason why I love Vanderbilt anyway, was the kids. That's what you should care about is the athletic experience for those kids. Sorry about that. Got a little bit off track. No, no, not at all. The, the follow-up I had there is, I know that you think that the, the main reason stuff has changed is the chancellor, but again, if you're going to go out and put your neck out for athletics, you make yourself really vulnerable. There's got to be support from other areas there, whether it's key members of the board of trust or, or key donors or something like that to give him a little bit of cover. What do you think the other dynamics in, in play are there? Are the other people that, that are really helping him as, as things seem to be changing over there? I think the turnover on the board of trust, which at the time it happened, and I, I don't know the exact numbers when I say turnover, if it's four people, six people, ten people. But I think the turnover of the board of trust, the fresh faces and the, the new ears that were listening for the first time about problems with athletics, Daniel's been able to turn that. And I think that's been the key. I really do. And then there's some people that they've hired in athletics, especially like in football with Clark Lee, guys like Ben Coffin, uh, and then his recruiting coordinator, Martin Simmons, people like that. All those people have been able to let Daniel Deermeyer understand this through Candace or however, however that routes through that, hey, <clears throat> this is what we need. This, is, this may seem like a small thing, but we've got to have it. And I think that you've got fresh ears listening. For such a long time, the board of trust is the same folks. And they just came in, listened. Okay, we're not going to do it again. Let's put a band-aid and keep moving. I think that's the key. I think you've had a lot of board of trust people. And I think Daniel Deermeyer's done a tremendous job of convincing people otherwise to think uh, in, in a different vein toward athletics. Uh, that's, a, that's a really insightful answer there. I'm going to spend a lot of our time remaining. I want to talk about football. You were very sure. bullish on Clark Lee. Uh, you've known yeah. Clark and I think his dad for a long time. You had a relationship with Clark back to when he played here. Yeah. I, I want to get your opinion on what's in front of him, the job you're do he's doing, and what you think the ceiling is. Just your general opinion of, of Clark Lee and what you think he is doing and can do for Vanderbilt football. Well, and I'm not speaking for Clark. So if Clark hears this, Clark understand, I'm just telling you my opinion on something. One of the best things he's done, uh, one of the greatest things he's done is uh, repaired some, some uh, broken, uh, broken bridges, some burn bridges. He is, uh, you know, I don't know that when he got here, I know he knew the football program was in tough shape. But I don't think he realized just how much ancillary stuff was going on with former employees, former players uh, that he had to repair. He had a lot of friends that were telling him stuff, but he didn't know it until he got here. In my opinion, that's the first thing he's done an incredible job with. Secondly, he surrounded himself with some of the best people he could. And I'm not just talking about the Vandy kids. Obviously, Norval McKenzie, Earl Bennett. Uh, Javon, hey, people like that, but the Barton Simmons, bringing Barton Simmons in. I, I you know, I, I know recruiting is an inexact science, but I can tell you because I've, I've been with the other, other, other 11 coaches that have been here, the, the approach he has in recruiting 
is probably better than anybody's that's been at Vanderbilt. I will say that. It's just the approach. Now, how that turns out in this day and age with NIL and, you know, being able to transfer and jump up and leave because you got mad at the coach one day, all that crap, I I don't know how that will be handled. And I don't know that he does. But I'm just so proud of what he's done. And I know what kind of person he is. I know Doc, Dr. Lee, his dad's, you know, just a classy guy. And that matters. People say, ah, oh, it don't matter. You got to win. You got to you know what? You got to start somewhere and you better start with a good person with good character that cares about Vanderbilt and the university and those kids. That has to be the first thing. James Franklin won at Vanderbilt and he made everybody happy for three years. But what James Franklin did was like a tornado. He come through, did a tremendous job of working, turned it around. We won games with some of Bobby Johnson's players and some of what he did. He's a great motivator and all that, but he wasn't going to be here for the long term, no matter what didn't matter whether he won or not. He was going to be gone. That's not the fate with Clark Lee. And I don't think, you know, people say, oh, it's going to take 10 years to turn it around. Well, it, it might take five and that's fine. But once you get there, it's almost like what Corbs did. Once you get there, you're going to be happy with what you, where you're at. And you don't have a guy who's going to jump ship. That's the other thing. But I, I yeah, it's, it, you're going to be hard pressed for, to find anything negative about Clark Lee, in my opinion. Well, here's the thing. Look, I'm not defending Clark and everything. I, I think that the South Carolina game was a, a time where they had that one in the bag. You can argue that some coaching decisions sure, the did, didn't help them there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there were some, his his first year was was not the smoothest. It didn't always inspire confidence. When you're no. around him, though. And you're getting him off the record, and some of his people, and, and you can really sit down and talk to them. It is it's hard not to come away impressed, and that's why you, you do see a lot of people that that swear by him. Once you're around him, you understand why. No, does that mean he's he's a cinch to win football games? No, it doesn't. Um, he he could be great and still not win games, or, or right. maybe he's got a plan and it doesn't come together the, the way that he thought. But I, I get what you're saying. Because I, I think you and I share a lot of similar opinions about him. I, I just see how he crosses his T's and dots a lot of his eyes privately, uh, and, and it's impressive. But um, hey, can I go ahead. You there one, I want to sure. give you an example of something that just happened this past weekend. I went over for Sunday's football camp. I had several football players who had kids there, either that they're now coaches and uh, or their sons, like Gerald Collins, Jamie Watkins, to mention a couple that were there that had kids in those camps. Okay. There's another young man who was, uh, was in the camp and I know his father. Well, I was talking to him and after the camp was over, I left a little bit early and he texted me and said, Hey, great to see you. He said, I just wanted to tell you something. My son's now been at nine camps and his son's been to, uh, like Tennessee, Auburn, Louisville, several others. And he said, I just want to let you know, this is the only one where the head coach, came over, shook my son's hand, and introduced himself. So that type of thing goes a long way. It really does. If you've got a kid who's deciding between, say, Vanderbilt and Kentucky or Vanderbilt and Mississippi State or Ole Miss, that kind of stuff weighs heavy with a parent. It weighed heavy with this parent, I can tell you that. That's a lot of how he's approached things. You can see a lot of the Tim Corbin stamp on what he does. And, and Tim is the kind of guy that would do a lot of the same type things. But – I think one thing I, I was trying to get at with background, and, and I didn't do a very good job of, of getting there, so I will now. Mm-hmm. 
I just remember 2019 and 2020 was so chaotic for those yeah. players. And, and, and some of it was COVID, but most of it wasn't. Um, I just think the support systems for football players, I think that the, the way that that players got looked down upon as athletes. And, and I remember warning about this in, in 2019 and 2020, and uh, some people thought I was exaggerating, but you can see the product on the field. And now the, the other thing that you can see, you look at their APR and graduation rates and things, and they released those a few weeks ago. I mean, it's a mile from where it used to be. And sure. I just think that a lot of the kids there – and I, I can't speak for everybody, and, and this is making a generalization, and maybe it applies for some and maybe not others. I think those kids got just so beaten down with everything working against them, especially with the internal workings at the school. I know people talk about the value of that degree and everything. I just think a lot of those kids said, screw it. It's just not worth being here anymore. And that's the... That's the culture part where he's really had to do a lot of work to pick up pieces. And I don't think there's any way that he could have known what he was up against when he came in because there just were some things there that were so bizarre and and poorly yeah. managed or handled that you would never conceived in your mind that, that something would be an issue. Uh, it, it's like, a, you know a thing when so, a part well, on your car goes wrong, you're like, I don't I didn't know that either, that part to check it to see if if it needed fixing that kind of thing that's the best analogy i can come with on, on the spur of the moment but I, I just think that he walked into such a spectacular dumpster fire a it was going to be incredibly difficult to change things right away and, and b you just couldn't anticipate a lot of it and, and by the way some of that's on Derek mason but a lot of it was not right and and, and let me say this i, I agree with you 100 percent and I, I go back to the 40 years that I was at Vanderbilt. I'm, I go back to when I was running balls for uh, Fred Panko, Steve Sloan. There was a time when Vanderbilt didn't win an SEC game. The stretch kind of like we've been in right now. There was a time from 76 to, I think, 80, where we didn't win an SEC game. Back then, you only played six. Either way, we, we, we were 2-10, and 1-10, one and, one and 2-9 and the whole time. Those times weren't near as bad culture-wise as it is as it was in 2019 20. That was that. That's the lowest ebb I ever saw Vanderbilt football. Oh, the, and that's the, Luke. The, the, the phone calls I got, and I think I've said this, but I, I got to the point of just like stop. I don't want to hear anymore because I don't know what yeah. I can do with it. Oh, some of it was. Uh, let, let's just say, in my opinion, criminal. And I, I feel I would so agree. bad for what those kids. I feel so bad for what some of those kids went through, and I hate that that was their experience at Vanderbilt. I hate it. Um, and I'm not talking about the wins and losses. I'm talking about everything else around it, and that's just the cherry on top. Uh, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to erase it from my memory already. Recruiting. Uh, you've talked about his approach. You, you think it's the right one for them. Why is that? I just think you have to have a different, you know, people say, well, you got to jump in, you got to go. We're not going to be, you know, and this is everyone's fear is that we just get cherry picked. Similar, like whatever happened with Tyler Steen. I don't know the details of it, but, you know, now he's at Alabama or whatever. You you got a guy starting left tackle for you. Alabama sees him as a starting guard and they come cherry pick you. Okay, well, here's what you have to do at Vanderbilt in football, in my opinion, right now in today's climate. 
you got to find those kids. And, and, and I'll bring it up again. Suddenly when I was at the camp, Gerald Collins son, who is, it was at the camp. And Gerald said to me, Luke, my son's going to go out. Let's say he likes Vanderbilt. Say it's where he winds up. He's going to, he's not going to worry about all that other crap, the NIL stuff. He's going to worry about school, being the best football player he can be. And all that other stuff will come if he's good enough. Well, that's the kind of parent and athlete that Vanderbilt has to have. You, you, it's not going to do you any good if you bring in a five-star kid that, <laughs> or a four-star kid that thinks he's better than the program, and then you'll have him for a year, and then he'll leave. Uh, that's why I think their approach with signing and, – and the star system doesn't mean as much to me as it does, say, anybody that's really into recruiting. I just look at, okay, what's his situation at home? What's his – what kind of kid is he? What's, uh, does he really care value an education? Uh, he better because if you come to Vanderbilt, you're st- nothing's changed in that area. He's still got to go to class. And uh, if he thinks it's all going to be roses, it's not going to be. It's going to be a tough road. But if you pay that price, and you know, we all have that good feeling. And after you cut the grass and you look and say, ah, it looks good. And you, you have that good feeling. That's what Clark wants. And that brings a tight knit group. If you can find, 15 to 20 of those every year, then you can build something. And then you add to it. Very similar, again, getting back to Coach Corbin, very similar to what he's done. I think the hard part for them is just when they are getting caught up, the the rules all change. With NIL and the portal, you've seen them lose. You talked about Tyler Steen. They lost Christian Little in baseball. Right. Um, I'm not saying it was necessarily both those were NIL or, or things like that. I don't know all the specifics on either, but point is it's, it's easier now to where mm-hmm. you, you come to Vanderbilt. Let, let's say that, that Vanderbilt brings in, you know, a, a kid who becomes a freshman all American and it's clear he could play for any team in the league. I mean, he could get up and transfer to Georgia or Alabama or, or any place where he could make more money than he would at Vanderbilt. So sure. w- with that, Realistically, do they have a chance to win with any significance? I think they do, and here's why. I think that things always find its level, and they'll peak out. I do think at some point now, we may suffer for the next year or two because of it, but I think at some point this will all get semi under control. I, I, I'm a believer that on this NIL thing, it's going to get. There's going to be so many examples of problems from it, a kid getting $8 million or whatever silly stuff that they're doing. I I think there's going to be some parameters put on it that will level things out. Right now we're playing a game and we don't even know what the rules are. You, you think you do, but but we really don't because I know for a fact that if Florida wants to give, you know, let's just say A.J. Swan's a great player. If Florida wants to get A.J. Swan, we're not going to outbid them more than likely because we're not going to get in that bidding war, first of all, that type of thing. It's just it's just going to take a little time for everything to find its level. And then I think Vanderbilt will be okay. I think we'll be fine then. We've never had the five-star players anyway, Chris. It's never been us competing. The only problem we're going to have is developing those threes into fours and hanging on to them. Well – his model will be different than Tim Corbin's because Tim can get the kids that, that are the equivalent of five stars that go to Georgia and Alabama mm-hmm. in, in football. At least that's been the case so far, uh, and I think it still right. will continue to be. 
Yeah. How was Tim able to do it? Because you were you were there and you saw all of it from the beginning. Well, I, and I hate to give one individual all the credit, but you just got to turn around and point that finger right back at him. The work that he put in uh, with Charles Hawkins and other people that were, he found those few, Mr. Harris and all those baseball guys that there were some, believe it or not, uh, some bandy baseball fans that uh, had some financial uh, well-doings and could help him. He, he He really ingratiated them, brought them in, thanked them for all the support they'd given before he'd gotten there and built relationships. And, and Tim is, we talk about it all the time. It's all about relationships. And Tim is the best I've ever seen in any coaching level. I don't care what sport it is at building relationships. Uh, you know, when, when, when he sees someone in an airport and you meet him for the first time and then he sees you eight months later and still remembers your name and your mother's name, <laughs> you know, those are the type of people you want to gravitate toward. And I just give, him all the credit i really do and and he's the other thing he's done he didn't say he didn't take no for an answer and and that's one of the things james franklin did i'll give james franklin credit for that when he got bucked in the athletic department he'd go over their heads he would just say hey i gotta have this or i'm getting out of here and you always hate to threaten that i'm leaving if i don't get x but i think that's what happened he said hey i gotta have this and if i don't have this i'm not gonna be here long uh, and then he won. He won immediately. That, it, it, as little as it seems, that 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 day of the Worth Scott home run, that was the beginning of it all. Because I think the very next year we probably sold 500 more season tickets <laughs> just because we swept Tennessee. And you know, it, it all started there. But I give him 100 percent of the credit. I'm sure he would not take that, but uh, he's just done it all. He worked his rear end off. This is a dumb question because you and I both know it was never going to happen. But what happens if James Franklin is still their football coach? What what does it look like between the time he left and today? Oh, today, well, we. People, I'm going to go ahead and say it. We'd be on probation. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Was, I, I'm serious. I, I mean, I, I don't say that thing. I just feel like he was such a. Uh, uh, Oh gosh, do I even want to get into this? We, we, there's people in our businesses in football and basketball, and basketball that are so micro focused on win, 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 and make me look good. It's not only you got to win, but you got to look. It's got to look good. It's got to make. It's got to have James Franklin label all over it. And that was what it was. And he would have. There would have been issues coming up. I could see them happening already. Now, with the new rule changes. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe he, he could have navigated this NIL stuff, and uh, maybe uh, that would have worked to his advantage, too, with his personality. I don't know. But James pushed that envelope, and he was every day on the edge, on the edge of doing something illegal or wrong. I want to hit basketball for a minute, but before that, any loose ends mm-hmm. with football or baseball uh, that might be worth tying up? No, I, just uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, there's always those other sports too that we have that we'd never bring attention to that uh, I, I'd like to bring attention to before we get out there. If you don't mind, that, that at the end of this, I just want to kind of talk about some people in that department that are doing a tremendous job and and don't even get a pat on the back much. You bet. Well, well, remind me to do that at the end. Sure. I, I want to ask you about hoops. Sure. I, I think it was inconceivable that the program would have fallen 
this far. I know that the better recruiting class coming in, we'll see where it goes from there. What is your take on the direction of where they're going with men's basketball? Uh, much better than it was if you'd asked me this question two years ago. Um, I, I I do think this. I think Coach Stackhouse is a very good basketball coach. I think the kids play hard for him. That's evident. Very rare. You may see him play a horrible half or a, an effortless, what I call, you know, I, I've never under understood how a kid can't play hard. I don't get that. That's just me being an old man. But you hardly ever see that. You, they play hard no matter, you know, they've been shorthanded at times. They've had injuries at times, and they, they still play hard and at times play very well. Um, my concern of that is can we get, after the Scotty Pippen thing, where Scotty was an obvious leader, this team is not going to have that obvious leader. And I worry about are we going to get those three double-figure scores that you have to have to win games? Where would it come from? Will it be more of a group effort where you got five guys scoring ten points a game? You know, I don't, I don't know, but I, that's my concern. And, and I do feel like the program's moving. And if, if you had a thumbs up, a thumb sideways, or a thumb up, I would have the thumb up. Were you around for the end of the Bryce Drew era? Yes. Okay. Yes. When did you know that was going to go wrong, or did you? Hey. Well, from what I was told, and again, I had no personal relationship with Bryce except, hello, how are you doing? Have a great day. But people that are in the know, they were over there and worked it every day, that there was too much in their opinions. And it's easy to say it after you go in 18. Uh, a high schoolish approach. And I, I don't mean that to be mean or demeaning. It just, you can't have a kid or a couple of kids on the team that you treat 100% differently from somebody else. You can't do it. You can't get playing time just because someone was supposed to be a great player. Uh, the other kids will quit on you so quick and make your head spin. And I think a lot of that happened. I really do. I think yeah. there were some people on the team that felt like it doesn't matter what I do, I'm not playing or I'm not getting minutes, the minutes I should. And I, and I think that. He backed himself into a corner, didn't have many people in his corner, uh, had a couple of guys maybe in his corner, but not many. And then once you do that and you go to work every day and you're stressed about everything you do, I think I think Bryce got so stressed that he couldn't even function. Yeah. All right, let's finish this up here. I know you had some sure. loose ends, uh, I guess some shout-outs, for lack of a better term, that you wanted to, to give, maybe some other sports. So I'm going to give you the floor to do that before we end the show today. Yeah, and again, I mentioned earlier, we, we all focus on basketball, baseball, football for the most part, but there are some people doing some great jobs over there that I know personally, and I know people that work with them personally. Uh, what Shay Ralph is doing with women's basketball, just keep your eyes open. That's uh, again, if I'm if I'm giving you a little chart with a thumbs down, thumbs sideways, or thumbs up, there's a thumbs up there. There's a thumbs up, obviously in golf. I'm sure you even followed some, even though you're going through a lot. What that golf program has done in the last four or five years is amazing. You know, they haven't won the national title; they've been around the doorstep. But what Scott and Gator Todd do, Scott Limbaugh and Gator Todd do with that men's program. Tremendous. The hours they put in, the work they put in, and uh, they have the best golfer in the country, in my opinion, that kid, Gordon Sargent. Um, 
women's golf as well with Greg Allen and Berger. Uh, all these are thumbs up. So, you know, when we, when we look at the football situation, it is what it is right now. Um, but there of those other sports, there's so many people doing a great job. Lacrosse, soccer is going to be consistently good. They had a down year last year, but they're going to be consistently do a great job. I just wish and I hope that everyone understands we should celebrate those guys as well, <clears throat> even when we're focusing on the, the uh, bigger sports or larger sports, whatever you want to call it, revenue sports, uh, and give those folks credit because they're working just as hard. They really are. Hey, Luke, I had a phenomenal time doing this with you. I think it was very insightful. Thanks for joining us, and, and maybe we'll find occasion to do one of these again. I'd love to, Chris, and I'm so happy for you that you're on your way back to 100% good health, and uh, anything I ever do for you, let me know, and uh, let's go to lunch real soon. Thank you, my friend. We'll get there. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.